Are you a healthcare organization struggling to achieve success? What if I told you that success not only depends on strategy, but also on the right mindset? At the Mindset Gap, their team of seasoned consultants understand the critical role mindset plays in achieving organizational excellence by empowering your workforce to think innovatively, embrace change, and adapt to new challenges. So imagine your workplace, one where your employees and patients thrive, where creativity and productivity go hand in hand, and where obstacles become opportunities. Don't let your organization fall into the mindset gap. Take the first step towards unlocking your potential today and email assist at themindsetgap.com with the referral code GENCAN20 to schedule a consultation. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. This is a safe space where we invite healthcare providers to unapologetically be themselves after the working day. My name is Jennifer George, and each week I will connect you with guests and stories that will help transform your stress to success and fulfillment. Are you with me? Grab your drink of choice and let's chat. everyone. Welcome to the Healthcare Provider Happy Hour. I'm your host, Jennifer George, and I'm joining you today with Dr. Laura Purdy. Laura is the co-founder and COO of MD Integrations, which is a telemedicine technology company connecting virtual healthcare providers with patients. Laura just wrapped up 14 years as an officer in the U.S. Army serving as a family physician. Her and I talk about the future of telehealth. We talk about how it is the future. We talk about how it can empower both patients and providers. We also chat a little bit about underservice populations and ways that we can improve telehealth because she firmly believes it's here to stay and it truly is the future of healthcare. So join us in this conversation, grab your drink of choice, and let's chat. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me today. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I know you're up to a lot. <laughs> you're quite a busy person. So making the time is, is super appreciated. It's very fun. I, I love it. I love it. Awesome. So tell us about yourself. Sure. I'm happy to do that. Um, so my name is Laura Purdy. I think um, professionally, I'll start professionally. So I'm a, I'm a board certified family medicine physician. I'm licensed in 49 states. And I'm, I currently practice mostly telehealth, but I also am a hospitalist in my spare time. <laughs> uh, that looks like. <laughs> and um, I just got out of the military after yeah. serving the U.S. Army. So I was a physician in the Army for um, 14 years and did several different um, jobs while I was there. Um, I'm also an entrepreneur and a business owner and I've done 
several things professionally, um, a consultant, advisor, those types of things, mentor. Uh, personally, I have four kids and I've been married for 10 years and love to travel. Uh, we're big fans of, of traveling and doing things together as a family. And I'm excited to, to get to spend some time with you today. That's wonderful. Like, I, I really appreciate you being here. And I want to chat with you a little bit about yourself in terms of what you just shared, because yeah, you've been practicing for a while. You were serving the US Army. So thank you for doing that as well. And how do you maintain your own well being during all of this? You know, you're clearly very busy. That's fair. <laughs> So what's interesting is after being in the military for 14 years, and my husband still is, um, still serves, so we were dual military, is, uh, yeah, things got really crazy there for a little while, but um, the difference is that now I have a choice. And so, of course, I did have a choice to join the service. But once you make that decision, and a lot of times they'll use the phrase, once you sign the dotted line, beyond Mm -hmm. that, I did not have a choice for 14 years. And how I kind of, even though I'm very busy, and if you look at my resume or if you look at my calendar, you think, how is there any semblance of of well-being in this um, this is, looks like the opposite of well-being. Actually, it's keeping in mind that all of this is a choice. Mm-hmm. I 100% now, now I have a choice in everything that I do, in every meeting that I say yes to, in every activity I attend with the children, in every date night with my husband, in every job I choose to take or maybe um, step down from every business that I may choose to start or advise on, it's all a choice. And at any given time, I know, and I, I keep in mind that I can always make that choice to change things. If I ever feel like I am overwhelmed, or if I ever feel like that it's too hard, Mm -hmm. I personally, Like it should never be hard. It should always be fun. Being in the army was hard and it was not what you might call fun. (laughs) But now that that's over, it should all be fun. It should never be hard. It should work doesn't have to feel like work. And so I constantly am thinking, where can I give more? Where can I do less? Where can we make adjustments? Where can I bring in more staff or people to help? That's that's how I construct the notion of wellness in the middle of what appears to be dull chaos. Right. To somebody, if they were reading it on paper or listening to you speak um, in terms yeah. of what you do and your accolades and everything. And I think that's so true. And I love how you highlighted that, that it really is about how you define it for yourself. And to each their own and everyone is so different. Um, and I also love how you said it's a choice like that. That's so true. It's so true. Um, you know, and I think if we, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like work-life balance. I'm a fan of like work-life harmony. And I, it, what, what it sounds like to me is that you really want harmonize your flow of, you know, of what you do and, and being at home with your kids and your family life, personal life and your professional life. And I think that's great. So uh, thank you for sharing that perspective. So you served in the army for a while and you were all about that. So what about that inspired you now to go into telehealth specifically? I know this is your passion. 
Yes. I love, I love telehealth. So, you know, it it was an accident. Oh, (laughs) it was a, it was an accident. I'll tell you the story. So, so hospitalists, which is the name of a doctor that's kind of like the primary care at the hospital, Mm -hmm. right? So if you go into the hospital, you have the one person who's really coordinating all of your care, much like a PCP would in, in your town. And then you have specialists that are consulted. So a typical schedule of a hospitalist would be to work seven days and then not work seven days. And in the military, our schedule was, um, it was like a four, four, three, three. So, but it balanced out to not working for two weeks a month. And I, um, I really wanted to be able to send my children to a Montessori school. That was the philosophies that we really um, believed in. And we, we really wanted the kids to be a part of that education. And um, I just, I needed another job to be able to do that. And so I had a colleague who was doing telehealth because um, along that same vein of wellness, what I didn't want to do was start pulling additional 12 hour shifts in another ER or an urgent care or, you know, working seven, 12 hour shifts and then going and doing more 12 hour shifts in my days off. It just didn't make sense. And I, I needed to be home. I wanted to be home and it was time for the kids to go to school during the day. Mm-hmm. So telehealth was a natural, was the natural extension of that. It just made so much sense. And Starting to do that and being awake, you know, being there when the kids woke up in the morning, being able to be a part of whatever was happening, being able to take vacations, not being limited on on what, when, where, how, why, all of those limitations that a traditional brick and mortar practice imposes, um, being kind of set free of all of that. Mm-hmm. It was it was fascinating and. That's why I loved telehealth because we could really build our lives around on, around the work, or I could I could um, build work around our lives is what I mean to say, um, rather than the other way around. And it's it's been phenomenal. So it it pretty much started with you. It started with your lifestyle and like recognizing the limits of your physical presence and how, you know, without compromising your well-being. So it started with you. So what year was this that you started um, telehealth? 2016. So Okay. So this is all pre-COVID. pre-COVID. Right. So, I mean, pre a lot of things. Like, I mean, telehealth, we're just really, <laughs> you know, recognizing now for, for all that it can do and the accessibility it provides, right? I mean, I would say you're an expert almost in it at this point <laughs> after all these years, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is wonderful. Um, so how have you found it to be beneficial? It's one thing for it to be beneficial to us, but how have you found it beneficial for patients? And I guess what I really want to know, because I'm I'm big on rapport, like that's my, that's my passion really is the, the patient connection, you know, and is there something to be said for in-person visits still? Because I do see that shift happening. Um, so I'm just wondering about your perspective being in it for so long now. Yes. And I, so I've, I've listened to some of your material about, you know, patients being heard. And I was thinking about how do we, how do we do that in telehealth? And <laughs> I, so I, I hoped we would talk about that because yeah. there is so much hope 
in telehealth. There is so much potential and we are only limited in what we can do by, by really the technology. That's the only limiting factor. Mm -hmm. And I think that what telehealth looks like today and what it looks like five years from now is going to be even more evolved and innovative and different. Um, But I'll share with you an anecdote. So, So sometimes I think about my work in, in terms of babies. So one and a half babies ago, I was working. <laughs> <Love that. laughs> I was working for a company that did a mental health treatment. And so I had a panel of about 250 patients that I was doing. It was really just depression and anxiety. And it was video visits. It started, well, the first visit was video. And it would usually be anywhere between 30 to 45 minutes of video. And then after that, it was really patient driven on whether they wanted to do video or whether they wanted to do chat or, I mean, there was no phone option. It was either one of those two things, video or chat. Okay. And I, I loved that phase of life. You know, when I, when I had a newborn in the house, I had to step back, right? Work-life balance, but I couldn't give the patients what they needed when I had a newborn in the house, but, um, I, I felt like that it was actually less distracting because there was no travel. There was no previous patient. Not that that's a problem. I heard you say, you know, what if, what do you do if you have two patients and one's running over, you can always say, you know, excuse me, I have someone waiting. It totally resolves that need because scheduling is really modular. Mm-hmm. I could meet them at nine o'clock at night if they needed to. I could meet them at six o'clock in the morning. And all it was was 30 minutes to 45 minutes of us doing this, just a face-to-face conversation. And and the EMR was right there, right? So I may be charting, but also directly making eye contact the entire time. And we really developed relationships. I had patients for 18 months that I would speak with on a regular basis. I knew their families, I knew their jobs, and I was living in Tennessee at the time, but they might be in Missouri, Oklahoma, and we were giving them access to care. I would I cannot count the number of times I heard somebody say it would take me 3 months and a 2-hour drive to have this visit in the real and this was before COVID. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's what that's what's so remarkable about it to me. Yeah. So many more problems now. <laughs> yeah, I know. I want to say things were more simple back then, but those are still active problems. And so I, I really felt like we got to have really deep and meaningful relationships without all the other stuff like travel, parking. Mm-hmm constraints of the work day or just distraction. Yeah. It was, it was really beautiful. And I do think they felt heard. I mean, we had great relationships and and they were, they, they seemed like they were really happy with the care they were receiving. That's great. You mentioned how we're, where we are right now with telehealth and what the future, like how that might evolve and how that might be different. What do you foresee exactly? when you say, because clearly you have a vision (laughs) of something. (laughs) Um, Do you care to share what that might look like in five years from now to you? Yes. Well, I think, so the sky's the limit. First of all, I I think I am 
not an innovator by nature. So I do think there will be people out there who will come up with the most brilliant ideas and I will be here to support them and help them, you know, create their experiences when they do innovate these incredible ideas. But some thoughts about where we still have room for improvement is what I'm calling the hybrid model. And nobody else is, I don't think anybody else calls it that, but I think that we can come to an integration of, of brick and mortar healthcare and also telehealth care. For example, one of the populations that I think we're still not 100% doing it right with is the, I'm going to say, you know, older, more mature, less tech savvy, less likely to hop on a computer and try to get their refills done. Right. Um, folks, maybe 65 and older, which is an overgeneralization, but the demographics show that we do get drop off after a certain age. And those are some of the sickest, most medically complex, most scared to go into the hospital, high risk for COVID mortality. I mean, the people that need telehealth, not that everyone else doesn't, but we can do better. And so I, I imagine things such as Maybe your mother or your grandmother goes to see their doctor and maybe there's an interactive video screen in the office and you might be on the other side of the country. I live six hours away from my mom. So use me as an example. My mom goes to see her cardiologist. They turn on their screen. They send me an invite to their secure visit. And all of a sudden I'm there. Beautiful. Yeah. That's telemedicine. Yeah. hear everything, like everything can be communicated. And now I, as a family member or potentially a caregiver, if it's that type of scenario, visitors are not allowed a lot of times into visits anymore. It's like one person only, unless no um, decision-making capacity, and then you can. Um, But I think we can, we can do better in, in engaging family members um, allowing this shared decision making amongst everyone and really helping with that communication, especially in our aging population, our veteran, our aging veteran population, um, the sick, the the ones with comorbidities. Mm-hmm. That's where I think telehealth is going to go, and it's going to try to reach those demographics. I can see that just from what you're describing. And may I ask too, you said you had like a rapport with patients for like a year and a half. And would you say that your follow-ups were more frequent with your patients than they may have been if it was in person? Because I I find that that's also a big part of, and I hate to say patients falling through the cracks, but that kind of is what happens, right? And I just wonder if the accessibility of telehealth for most people anyway um, if that kind of alleviates that issue as well. Um, did you, would you say that you saw people more frequently in a way than you might have if they were in person? I think I saw people as frequently as they needed to be seen. And when, when you would work, I guess, in person, did you think, did you ever feel like you didn't have the opportunity to see people as frequently as they maybe needed to be seen? I'm not trying to lead you down a path, but I'm just thinking of my own experiences and I'm just wondering, I just find that follow-up sometimes drops off unless the the patient initiates it a lot of the time and hopefully the patient does. So let me define, let me, let me explain what I mean, what I mean when I say as often as they need to be seen, let me, let me change my emphasis as often as they need to be seen. 
mm-hmm. not as often as I want want or need or yes. think they should be seen, as often as they need to be seen or as often as they want to be seen. Because with brick and mortar healthcare, we are really confined by the building that we are in and the hours that we are there. And patients don't really have the opportunity to say in a quick and easy and streamlined way, can need follow up, just checking in with you. Mm -hmm. Or we might have ancillary staff that's doing our triage and maybe all the messages don't necessarily get back to the doctor. But with telehealth, um, and in specifically in the role that I was speaking of earlier, as often as they needed to be seen, they could do it. And for some people, that was only once a year, and that was perfect. Mm-hmm. For some people, maybe it was two or three times a month, which we would almost never do in the clinic because the resources aren't there. Um, but if that's what they needed, they got it. Yeah, I, I feel like that sounds like so wholesome in a way, you know, I love that. So is so MD integrations is that's your that's a founded company by you right and that's telehealth platform. Uh, I read that it's physician. Is it only for physicians or is it is there an interdisciplinary staff on board with yeah. that? So the way that it works is so so I'll put my I guess entrepreneur hat on for yeah. a minute. Yeah. And so MD integrations. So after having worked with or for or advised or consulted with dozens of telehealth startup companies, there are several shared common problems, I would say challenges or obstacles that companies come into contact with when they're trying to start a telehealth company. The ultimate goal of every telehealth company, I think, is to take care of people and and try to solve this problem of access to care and enhance communication make patients feel seen and heard and provide them a good level of service. But when a lot of these companies don't have doctors on their executive team, Mm. or they are looking for doctors someday, but they don't really know any from if they're a business person or if they're a technology person, those aren't usually circles that you would see a lot of doctors that have done telehealth in. And so there are often problems that these companies encounter, like technology that's not conducive to what they want to do, or not knowing how to write safe medical protocols, Mm. not knowing how to do it in a safe and compliant way, or not knowing physicians that have a wide enough reach in their panel of people that they have, like maybe they have a doctor with three or four state licenses, and they can address the problem of access to care on on a wider level if they have doctors with more licenses. So um, what in the integrations is, um, it's, we have probably nine or 12 doctors now. It's constantly growing. Um, but what we do is provide companies that want to offer a telehealth service. We provide them with doctors if they need them. And we also provide them with technology. Okay. And we help them write protocols. We basically are a medical operations department. Yeah, I was just going to say, so you support... Yeah. <laughs> so I see you guys as a support team. Oh, very cool. Now, as part of what you do as well, and back to the patient care standpoint, do the patients have a digital access to you as well? Like, do they have a portal? Do you, Is that part of the setup as well? Or is it just literally live 
chatting video, and then you're kind of documenting on your own platform and not really seeing the patient side, I guess, so much if they're, I've seen like patient platforms where they can journal and they can just write about their symptoms or if they can, they can access or send a note to their doctor. Um, I just didn't know if that was part of it as well. So usually the answer to that question is whatever they want it to be. Okay. So completely customizable, but we try not to, um, you know, because a lot of that falls into branding and we want the companies on the kind of front end of things because we're kind of like the back end of things. Mm-hmm. We want the companies to fully create their their branded experience for whatever their, if it's men's health or women's health or dermatology or some other sort of specialty care. Um, we try to just be as flexible and accommodating as possible to do whatever it is they want to do. So we have chat functionality, there's video, there's phone, there's um, refills, continuity of care. So if patients can see the same position, if that's um, if that's a part of their model, mm-hmm. but a lot of the patient experience is actually crafted by the founders of whatever company is using MD integrations. Okay. And we support them in the language that we use and in the way we set up the relationship. Wow. It's a whole new world to me, truthfully, because I, I work in hospital and it's like, and I just see so many different dimensions here, which I think is awesome because I think healthcare is evolving and we have to evolve, um, you know, with, with it um, and be compassionate towards it. Um, how do you think we can go about improving then accessibility for those those populations that you're noticing are underserviced. And I was going to ask around language barriers. Um, do you find that that's also an underserviced population when it comes to telehealth access? It is. And is it? Yes. Yes to both. Unfortunately, and I, I certainly don't mean to start a political debate, but unfortunately, the laws are what inhibit us from providing the best care to some of the aging population because insurance, fixed income reimbursements is a large part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I would say with as progressive, as you, you just said, you know, healthcare is evolving. We need health insurance and payers to evolve also. And Medicaid, Medicare, TRICARE, the federal payers, the VA is, there is change happening. There is change happening, but it is not happening as quick as the industry as evolving. And for that reason, a lot of companies are cash pay, but I hope, and I believe, I do believe that we will see change in that. And as the, the laws evolve, then access will improve as well. Wow. Are you noticing that uh, people would pay out of pocket, though, if just to access the service? Or are you finding they're mostly reliant on and based on go, go based on their insurance providers and what's available to them? A little bit of both. I think it really depends on what is happening in our country at any given time. Every So we've had two waves of COVID now, but even before COVID, it was influenza when we had so much influenza where people were unable or, you know, terrified to go to the doctor because everyone had the flu, yeah. we would shift in more of a willingness to be cash pay. Yeah. But I think that we have payers, 
we have health insurance. And so I do think we should also have a way to get get this stuff covered. You know, people have health insurance and telehealth is not going anywhere. It's a it's a reality of our healthcare system. Now the industry telehealth is here to stay. And so I really hope that, you know, five years from now, we're not still having this conversation about people who have perfectly good health insurance having to pay yeah. for telehealth services online. Yeah. That's the other thing, right? Healthcare is evolving. And I think what I mean by that, as much as telehealth has evolved, um, I think what I mean by that is patients are changing. And I see that in hospital and you might too, as a hospitalist, I'm finding there's a lot of social complications. Like it's just different. Um, and those are a big factor on well-being um, and independence for, for patients who we see. And so those those populations that are struggling socially and have limited access as it is, I just hope that the rest of the system, like you said, in terms of insurers and government, and you know, here in Ontario, we have universal type healthcare. So I just find that part of healthcare, through my experience over the last several years, takes forever. <laughs> so you know, patient demographics change, uh, complexities change, and I've been saying pre-COVID that I was noticing com- more complicated situations coming up, and that that healthcare is going to have to be layered and, you know, uh, multi-provider involved and, or maybe healthcare team involved. And yeah, I just think that patients shouldn't have to do it alone, I guess. There's a lot of people out there that are, so. Yeah. 100%. I could not agree with yeah. you. So, yeah, so telehealth is a very practical solution in a lot of ways. So I appreciate that. Now, do you specifically as a physician, because you do so much, um, I'm just curious, do, do you have a specific um, area of interest, focus, passion that you prefer to work in? I know you cover everything pretty much, but. <laughs> yes. I, so I am very passionate about women's health, Awesome, women's health as a woman and who's been through probably half of my life at this point. And through childbearing and through, you know, early reproductive years and being in the military and seeing a lot of the discrepancies, disparities between, you know, men's health and women's health and um, or just general health and how the attitudes and um, some of the, the things that are thought about women's health and where we can do better. I'm, I'm very passionate about women's health. I think a lot of times we tend to take care of everything but ourselves. Mm, Definitely. Yeah. We can do better. (laughs) Yeah. And again, I feel like that the women's health um, division has progressed as well over the years. It's a, it's a population that is now thankfully receiving, uh, like receiving more recognition, uh, more scientific awareness, and there's more voices in support. So it's, it's great to hear and great to see. So what would you give in terms of advice to, first of all, a provider who's kind of like, oh, I'm not sure if I want to do telehealth, or do I have to continue to do telehealth if they just kind of did it? A lot of people here just randomly started doing it when COVID hit, right? Like we are pretty far behind here compared to, I would say, where you're at um, here in Ontario, Canada. 
So what would your advice be for the provider who's kind of unsure, like, you know, can I really have the impact I always thought I would have when I got into healthcare? And then on the other side, do you have any advice for patients or caregivers who are kind of not sold on it yet, um, but have access perhaps? That's a great question. So the beauty of telehealth is that it is whatever you need it to be, and it is whatever you want it to be. So when I have those types of conversations with patients or with providers, the first thing I say is decide what type of experience you are wanting to have. And then you can work backwards from there. And then I introduce them to people. But if yeah. <laughs> a lot of people, <laughs> we, I can introduce them to any company, right? And I can introduce a patient to, I can send them any telemedicine website and say, here, go here and you can get your birth control or whatever it is that they need. But really a good telehealth experience is is that it's an experience. Mm-hmm. And so I think if the provider knows going into it, what they're wanting to get out of it. And then likewise, if a patient knows, because sometimes you will have patients who will say, I don't really want to talk about it. I just need my birth control refilled. What's the fastest way for me to do that? Mm-hmm. I know when to send them. Or yeah. if a provider says like, I just want to sit down and just talk to people and not worry about anything else. You know, I don't want to run a clinic. I just want to treat patients. I know where to send them. But at the end of the day, there really has to be at least a concept ahead of time about what the expectation for the experience is so that we can help meet those experiences or expectations. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. I love how you said that. I really love how you said it. It's about what you want it to be and you can make it that way. And I think that that's really empowering for both providers and for patients. So that's awesome. Is there any patient who I'm thinking just, I guess, um, simply in terms of diagnosis from a safety standpoint? I mean, as a physio, like this is something I would be thinking about because we are movement uh, practitioners, right? So, uh, you know, there's always a fall risk, for example, or things like that. Um, I mean, I know colleagues who've identified people through telehealth who were having a stroke, was able to tell them to go to ER or to call, sorry, to call EMS, for example, and save a life that way. But have you, like, is there anything you absolutely wouldn't treat um, through telehealth? Or like, do you have limits around that? There is a lot I won't okay. treat. Okay. okay. You know, five years ago, we had, I say we as managers, right? I've been managers. I've been supervisors in telehealth and involved with writing policies and procedures. We've had a lot of long conversations yeah. and meetings about who do we treat and who do we not treat? How do we know when somebody needs to go in? And again, this was pre-COVID, right? So mm-hmm. we know when somebody needs to go in. How do we know if it's okay to treat somebody, but to say, if this happens, you need to go in. And I think that is where being a good clinician is of the utmost importance. And Because when we're in medical school, they tell us that the history is 90%. If you listen, and it's probably the same thing for a physio, if you listen to what the patient is telling you, then you're already going 
to know most of what you need to know. And then the physical exam, it can confirm or it can deny or it can do nothing and you really need to send them in. (laughs) But the history is so important. And so there are several things. I mean, abdominal pain should really be seen in person. I have no way of knowing what is the cause of abdominal pain. Um, UTI symptoms in a person with male anatomy I have no way of knowing if it's prostatitis or if it's sepsis or if it's a UTI or if it's an STI, I don't have any way of knowing. And those, those complaints, not complaints, chief complaints, the chief complaints that could result in something really bad happening. If I get it wrong, or if there's a delay in treatment, those are the things that really should be seen in person. But I find that, so one of my first jobs in telehealth was urgent care. Okay. And through a company that just did like phone urgent care. And and I feel like to an extent, patients were totally accepting of being told you should really take that in Mm -hmm. because a lot of times they're calling it's nine o'clock at night. They're on the fence of whether they need to go to the ER or not. And just having someone say, I really think you need to go in for that gives them permission to do it. Yeah. And they feel better about hearing that. Yeah. So that's reassuring because I used the urgent, the telehealth urgent um, service once as well. And, um, and it was one of those questions. It was after work, nothing was open in person for me. And it wasn't a dire situation where I felt like I needed to go to the ER and, you know, take up space or time there or even. So that's when I decided to use telehealth. And it, they were very helpful. And I was able to access actually my diagnostic through my telehealth practitioner before my family physician. Like I I was able to, you know what I'm saying? So that's where I really appreciate those types of things, those efficiencies. And and it broadens the communication in ways to access my own data and the same data, I guess. So I found that very valuable. So is there anything you'd like to share with us before we sign off, Laura? It's been so great having you. I guess the the last thing that I might say is if you're if you're on the fence about doing telemedicine or using telemedicine, just give it a try. Just give it a try. There's there's nothing to lose if you're if you're sitting there thinking, "Oh, this sounds really interesting. I think I might like to try telemedicine." Do it. Do it. You know, come find me on LinkedIn and I I love to have conversations. I will always have a conversation. And um if you have questions, if you're thinking about it, just do it. This is this is the future of healthcare and it's very exciting. It's so fun and it contributes to wellness, right? Which is at the end of the day, that's really what matters is if we have our own personal wellness. So yeah. And so will you like if anybody reaches out to you, is that okay? Like even just allied professionals, nursing professionals, like anybody, you're open. Please. Okay. So LinkedIn, any other like where else can people connect with you? That's the best place, honestly. I okay. think if um, if you just find me on LinkedIn, Laura Purdy, I'm there. Um, you'll see all the kinds of different things that I'm doing. Send me a message. Say, hey, you know, I, I saw you <laughs> on the podcast and I would love to talk to you. We can set up a time to chat if you're thinking about it's it's just so you know there's no fee associated with <laughs> I was just to gonna say it's totally free to consult. <laughs> consult is free <laughs> I have never charged somebody for a conversation at all whatsoever 
This is about helping, helping the industry. It's about helping the individuals. It's about helping the patients. And if I can connect one person to a new job or a new platform or a new company that helps change the course of their life and professional career, then I'm so happy to do that. Love it. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I appreciate your time and I look forward to staying in touch. Yes, of course. Likewise. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, Laura. So if you guys like this podcast, please subscribe and leave an honest review. Your feedback means everything to me. Your reviews are what moves this podcast forward, and I always appreciate receiving them. If you want to get a hold of me directly, reach out to me on social media. My handles are in the show notes, and you can always subscribe to my weekly newsletters at jennifergeorge.co so that we can stay connected. So until next time, thank you guys so much again for your ongoing support.